Welcome to Season 2 of My Big Break, the podcast series from Motorsport where I try to get top motorsport drivers and team bosses to reflect on what the key moments were that led them to where they are today. I'm Chris Medland and in this episode I'm joined by Helio Castroneves to reflect on the risks he took to try and kickstart his racing career, the family support that played such a crucial role and how conflicted he was when tragedy opened up opportunities for him. Helio also talks about the failed relationship with Emerson Fittipaldi and the court cases that left him fearing a lengthy time in jail. It has been a dramatic career that shows no sign of ending after he recently joined one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. Elio, thanks so much for giving us all of your time. Uh, we're here to try and identify the big moments in your career that really contributed to you being where you are today. Uh, and to do that, we're going to start at the start um, <laughs> because I get the feeling that someone in your family gave you the racing bug. Yes, you're absolutely, absolutely right. And first of all, thank you for having me. This is absolutely uh, awesome. Every time you come and talk about stories about your racing career, you know, people thinking about uh, the glories and the victory, what you do and things like that. But Yes, this is a perfect way to, uh, there are so many moments in my life, not career, but in my life that dictate where I'm at today. And yes, I got bit by the bug with my, my dad. My dad, um, in 1981, 1980-1981, uh, he had a, a stock car team in Brazil. Obviously, he started taking me to, uh, to the races, and uh, I remember very vividly that I stay behind the steering wheel wearing a helmet the driver helmet back then and kind of like man this is this is cool one day i want to be driving this car so i was never thinking about having a team like my dad had or using you know that that racing as a business like my dad did that he was already an entrepreneur back then crazy but it was he did an incredible job so i got bit by the by the bug because of him him and um and i'm thanking him um, every day because of that and you're wearing the helmet behind the wheel but is it true that because of an age limit for going into circuits, they were having to kind of like disguise <laughs> you to get you in? Yeah, I mean, I think still, still this day, right? You're not if you're under eighteen or sixteen, you're not allowed to be in the pits. Um, back then was a little more more relaxed. However, there was the rules too. So the thing is, my dad didn't. My mom wasn't going. It was just me and my dad, and he still got to take care of the team. So he put me some of the areas in the in the actually trunk of the car. We passed through security. And when once we're in the garage, I stay kind of like quiet. I feel that caught that kind of like gave me this excitement of a hide and seek or game or for a kid, you know. And uh, it was awesome. And and plus, I remember the smell of a uh, of uh, of uh, oil and and the, the fuel. That was really. I was like, man, this is awesome. That was awesome. The noise of engines. It was just absolutely incredible. Well, looking at your kind of junior career results, it clearly didn't take you long to be quick in a go-kart as well. But one of the moments that seemed to jump out at me that if I did my research right, came when you tried to go and race go-karts, but outside of Brazil, when you went to Italy. And is it right that you got there and then nearly weren't allowed to compete or were kind of ruled out the race originally? It's so funny you mentioned about the go-karts. I, I have just a perfect picture I'm going to show you right now that somebody just sent me today. And this is exactly, it was 1991, and uh, I was obviously go-karting in Brazil. And that's the, the time that we decided to go to Europe and do the World Cup. So, in fact, if you can see, it's like a CRG uh, suit that I uh, purchased there. So it was, a, it was an incredible moment um, of my life because it, till this day, I mean, wor- World Cup in any place is amazing. I mean, in go-karts, it's very, very difficult. I really respect people when they do well in, go- in the World 
World uh, Cup in the, in go karts are, are are amazing. So we did that. I, I actually have to say that a little bit of a hi- uh, history. When I was uh, 1990, that was my first in, in um, race in Europe, which was in um, uh, Lonato, and it was really cool because. Nobody knew that. Um, we went through CBA, which is the uh, Brazilian um, uh, Confederation uh, for for uh, for racing Brazil, and we we thought they put us uh, into the World Cup. When we got there, I mean, I I, I kid you not, and you can and I have witness that it can prove this story it is true. I got there; they never put my name on the list, so I I was actually not. I didn't have my name on the list to participate to the World Cup. And I'm like, how come? I mean, we called the people. Back then, we didn't have cell phones. You have to go <laughs> to the booth, right? So uh, we, we keep calling the, the president of CBA in, in Brazil, the Brazilian Confederation. And we're like, why you guys? What's happened? Oh, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So finally, we had to go to the, uh, uh, back then was the president of uh, CIK and he was living in Switzerland. We went to his house, literally. In fact, Jan Magnussen, Jan Magnussen, back then, I remember he was moving to a difference. He was just a World Cup uh, champion a year before. And he was, I mean, there was a bunch of people there in the restaurant of Lonato helping us to guide us to find the, the route to go to Switzerland. And, uh, and we found it. I mean, we went there, went to his house, he was incredible, uh, uh, incredible person. He said, "Look, I cannot do anything unless there is an absence, unless somebody, uh, unless somebody decided to give up." And unfortunately, one of the drivers—I don't remember when—broke his arm. He couldn't do it, and it's like you got your 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 space in. So it was like, "Oh my God!" This is like day, days before the 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 race uh, started and uh, or the week starts. So very lucky. And it was meant to be. It was that was the big moment for me to um, uh, learn. I end up meeting Juan Pablo Montoya on that um, on that um, race, which we became friends from from that point on. Because my English was a little bit better today, but it was horrible back then. So at least I was speaking Spanish with him, which is um, which was great. I was going to say, so that must have been the sort of time though, stepping outside of Brazilian totally, charting, totally, that, totally. that was a a big jump for you. Yeah, but B must have introduced you to so many people who like was Jan Magnussen then like a, a big help from that oh point my on? god yes I mean and they, they introduced me this is the world com- uh, the world champion I'm like wow and he was like here like us uh, helping us out and I was like man that's pretty good guy and since then uh, we keep bumping to each other and it was like hey how you doing remember me yeah <laughs> remember so it was very very nice and and from that then did that was that a race that said to you yeah I can I can make a career of this I can go places because I guess stepping outside of your own national championships and going and compete in world cups is what lets you compare right. yourself to international drivers it was a learning curve obviously uh, learning uh, back then I, th- I believe the difference between the equipment was a big difference right um, the go-karts in Amer- uh, in, uh, in Europe was completely different than the go-karts in, uh, in Brazil I think these days are so much different uh, everything is so much more closer tire so much more closer um, that if you do that transition, I, I don't think it would be that difficult. Plus, the whole world now is it's connected, right? Um, and you're able to see things, uh, to follow things that back then uh, you couldn't. So um, uh, no question, it was a big learn, learning curve. And, uh, and, and not because I didn't succeed, 
um, that back then that gave me the the wrong impression about racing. I said, no, I wanna I wanna do it again. I wanna make it happen, and uh, it, it speaks for itself. Uh, you know, the desire of my dad and my family and everyone to keep uh, pursuing that dream. And I, I guess maybe you as a young driver might have had a bigger decision to make though a few years later. I've got, got it down. You're racing in F3, 93, 94 in Brazil. Right. And in 94, Brazilian motorsport is obviously a, a pretty well-marked year. Like as a young driver who I, I assume idolized Ayrton Senna as someone who yep. was putting Brazilian racing on the map, yep. to lose him, did what did that do for you and your desire to become a racing driver? I remember the day that happened, my mom... I was just I just came from a run because um, back then actually I was preparing to go to a run because back then the races in Brazil was about seven eight o'clock in the morning and what happened is when the accident happened my mom obviously was well shocked and my mom are you sure this is what you're gonna wanna do I said mom yes I know it hurts I mean I'm I'm feeling for it because he's this guy's was a hero for me and now he's not here with us um, but I wanna. I want to give what he was able to give to all the Brazilians. And I wish I can be at least a little bit of a difference that he did. Yes, maybe I'm not going to copy him grabbing the, the, the flag after victory, but I want to represent that. So that was my mentality. I wasn't even thinking about, yeah, maybe this is not for me or too danger or, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So, um, but it was a big loss. Uh, and, and, and not only that, the support of the Brazilian companies and, and everyone, nobody want to watch race anymore. Everybody was actually hurt by that because they, they, they actually look at racing as they took away our hero. You know, forget about that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it was actually difficult for a lot of uh, young drivers that was pursuing their dream. It was difficult. You just gotta, you just got really literally got to pursue win so that you have a chance and opportunity to keep it going. Well, because it was the next year, wasn't it, you came to England to race in F3, then with That's Paul right. Stewart Racing. So how hard was that package to put together to even oh. come and do? Remember, the back then we have fax machine. Now we <laughs> did not even know what is there, right? So um, I have my English teacher because I was studying English. I have my English teacher reading our contract and helping us out. Um, no question. When I did, before I actually um, joined uh, Paul Stewart, I did one race for Fortech in 1994. It was like an Oton Park race i don't know how they call but it was wasn't part of the f3 championship it was a side race um and i did that uh and i finished third so it showed a lot of speed that was awesome uh coming from a brazil not a place that i didn't have much of a understanding uh but track is track and jump in move on so that opened the door for me to start talking to post Stewart and uh, and jack and and yeah and from there on um, uh, we were able to set up the contract and if you gotta go we gotta find the best uh when i got to england a guy that helped me out which is still a good friend of mine is Jude Ferrin. i just went out talked to him so i know you've been with this team for a long time can you give me some sort of like <laughs> pointers that what should i do you know and uh, it was great it was absolutely great learn a lot um and uh, it was tougher for me, since I didn't know much of the circuits, I have to go weeks before getting a car, driving around the circuit because uh, Paul uh, used to organize with the track side. Okay, give him some some very fast learning course, uh, where to brake, what gears, and stuff like that. And then and today we have Sim. Back then we didn't have it, so it was, I had to do the the real deal. 
and which helped me a lot. Uh, it was an incredible team. Learned so till this day uses the things that uh, Jacket uh, taught me. You know how to how to be representing um, a brand, not just be a race car driver. And well, how big a shock was it for you culturally, though, as well? Then huge. Because, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different country, isn't it, Brazil and Huge. the UK? I remember I went to live in Milton Keynes. and um, All the glamour. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was, I like it. A lot of people are like, you're crazy. They call you that's a, it's a city with a plastic cow. I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I still don't understand because it's they made that city. It's not like, I was like, well, I, I like the roundabouts, you know. It's not that bad. <laughs> so, uh it was actually really good. In fact, today Red Bull um, headquarters used yep. to be where posted, right? So um, I um, look. I I didn't think it was it was tough. I knew it would be tough, but it was a great learning curve for me. Racing, it's it's a life learning uh, uh, lesson and a journey. It's like a like a high school. When people go to high school, they start learning. You know, pay the bills, uh, wash their clothes, or party right that that part there was a place in cambridge that that all the driver used to hang out and that's one of the reasons i ended up choosing milton Keynes because i didn't want to get myself uh in trouble i didn't want to get on that area because i was there for racing and i got to focus on racing so my mind was like this is what i'm doing it and this is what i will do so for me racing is it, it, that it's a, it gave me an incredible uh, range of understanding of the world and um, and being in England was another place that uh, I learned a lot. And, and I guess the move to England probably tallied with, at the time, your dream to race in Formula 1 because you had a lot of the teams in Europe and you are being based there. So how did you go from looking good in British F3 <laughs> to then testing an Indy Lights car? Yeah, my goal was to actually, you know, go to Formula 3000. 3, that was my I want to go and that's the next step because I've been doing Formula 3, that was my third year First year in England, but I was doing two years in a, in a, in Brazil. I said I gotta go to the next level. I can't just stay too long in Formula Three because otherwise I'm gonna be, you know, those guys that, yeah, you might win the championship, but you're missing your time for for the future. Um, and I was talking to Paul Stewart to go to the next level. I think Alan McNeish was the driver back then, and probably Olivier Panis. I'm, I I don't remember, but I, I believe it is. But that's the group that was back then, which was stellar. It was an incredible talent drivers. Uh, uh, still today, I, I say it, I was like, wow, I was, I, I was living the uh, incredible uh, era with such an incredible names around me. And I want to go, but it, one, of, one of my sponsors, Philip Morris, uh, said, no, we have a test in Indie Lights. And I'm like, what is that? I have no idea what is Indie Lights. Well, it's, it's a racing in America. And we are forming this Brazilian team uh, with young talents, and we want you to be part of it. I'm like, sure, but that's not my goal. What about, you know, uh, Europe here in Formula 3000? No, we're not going to help you on that, but we will help you uh, in in the lights. Well, let's find out what is that, you know? So I went, did the test. There was a bunch of other drivers as well. Tony Canal was a good buddy of mine, and he was there too. And um, we did the test. Steve Horn was the owner of uh, Tasman Motorsport, the, the, the team that ended up doing the test. And in fact, uh, uh, it was only two cars, but Steve said, you know what, I'm going to make a third car for you. So that was a big moment because if it wasn't Steve, see through my my, my eyes or, or my eager to, to succeed, 
I probably wouldn't be here. So he ended up forming a third car, which was not part of the plan. And, uh, and that's how I started in America. But when you look back at it now, I mean, you've had such huge success over here in the US that it must feel like a, a great pivotal moment. But at the time, huge. did it feel like I'm having to give up on that dream of F3000 and Formula One? Not really. Um, not really. I tell you why. Because IndyCar back then was exploding in Brazil as well. Um, well, IndyCar has always been incredible. You know, when Nigel Mansell went uh, after winning the world championship, end up going to IndyCar, we were like, what? What is he doing, right? And But everybody, I, I was a big fan. Of, no matter what was racing, I was always watching back then. But And it was really cool to see that. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, maybe people might have the, the a different perspective saying, okay, whoever is going to retire, that's where they're going to go, to IndyCar. And that was a little bit of like, ah, should, I, should I stay here or not? However, young drivers like Andre Ribeiro, um, Walter Salles, Gilles Deferrand. Gilles was one of the guys that won a championship from 3000 and never had a chance to go to Formula One. End up going to IndyCar Indy and succeed. So it was kind of like uh, parallel worlds and, and, and directions. What do I do? But my choice wasn't my choice. It was actually the sponsored choice. Mm. And I had to take that. We all know this is a very tough sport. If you don't have a sponsor, you're not going to go anywhere. And that's how I, I, I end up made my decision. And I tell you what, best decision ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we can't question it with the, with the resume you've got off the back of that. Um, but even then, I've got a, a note here that um, from some research I did, and I want to check this is right. But in 96, and you struggled a bit starting in Indie yep, Lights. Correct. And I've seen it written that you then, you were trying to get a sports, sports psychologist to help you correct. get over that. Was it, so how close to throwing in the towel were you at that point? Because uh, oh, the, big. Yeah, I hate that you sort of yeah. lent on your family to say, I want to I want to give this up. Great, great way to start it. I mean, you just pointed out perfect. I was, yes, uh, crashing, not focused. I was focused, but always something happened. And I was really maybe struggling where I was living in, in, in a place that I, I was, I don't know, it was overwhelmed, so many things happening. And um, yeah, mentally I was, I was affected. Um, and again, Steve Horn, <laughs> had that kind of like vision and said, you know what, I'm going to put you in this clinic to help you out. I was very negative. Uh, I was already going to the race car that I'm going to crash. So uh, when I did the clinic with, call, used to call HPI, it was incredible, Jacques Delaire, I'm, and I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, listeners here know who I'm talking about. Jacques Delaire was a, uh, um, uh, a PhD person that helped so many of us, and he did help me. So I... After that, I start creating some techniques that it really, really helped me. And four races after the clinic, I ended up winning my first race in Indy Lights in Troyes Riviere. And I was like, wow. You know, and now, and then now fighting for wins and things like that until Steve Horn said, you know what? I'm going to give you a, another shot for winning the championship in the following season, you and Tony. And I'm like, I mean, baby, that's. You're going to see we're going to win that. And we went to the battle. Didn't win, but it was a battle to, towards the last lap of the race. <laughs> but at that stage then, what do you think was more likely to happen? You lose your drive because you were crashing a lot and you were negative or you walking away because you weren't enjoying it? I wasn't happy. No question about it. I, I was thinking, is this the right thing? I mean, my whole family suffered so much uh, from the financial time. Is this the right thing to keep pushing it? Or am I going to 
And then my mom, actually, she's the, always the wise one, said, look, you didn't come this far to just thinking, oh, my God, this is not for me. Um, uh, you know, we already suffer now. It, there is no more to squeeze out of it because we don't have it because everything we invest is one new. Now, imagine if you, if you think you're tired and, and, and depressed and upset, imagine 10 years from now, you're like, why I shouldn't continue? The regret that you're going to have, you'll be 10 times worse. So keep it going. Go back out there. You know, man up. And we're here to support you if you need it. And, um, and she was right. It sounds like family played a, a really important role for you. I mean, Huge. You talk about, you said about like the success you had the next year. And before we get on to stepping up to IndyCar, tell me about the role your sister played as well in, in kind of helping your career grow. Yeah, she was, uh, she always helped me because she went to, to college. I never went to college, but she went to college and uh, uh, she, she was always going to races, trying to find sponsorship for, uh, for me and, and, and my dad to keep it moving forward. And uh, she was, uh, yeah, she was uh, no question a person that <laughs> we, we, we laughed together, we cried together, um, but uh, we kept going. And um, she moved with me to America as well. And um, yeah, we worked really well together. It, it, what I love about this sort of podcast is, is learning this sort of thing about the unsung heroes as such, that the famous names that people don't know, because the next name I'm going to throw at you is one that people know, but isn't. I think a particularly positive story to recall, but it was Emerson Fittipaldi and, and the link with him when you were just stepping up to cart, just what happened? Like, how did that not be the dream story? Most people would have expected it to be when you've got, uh, you, you're working with someone like Emerson yeah. to try and further your career. You know, the potential was so big in 1997, um, as I was battling for the championship with Indy lights, uh, he was in, uh, in Miami. I was living in Miami too. We, we meet uh, mutual friends and we end up, getting together and obviously I met Emerson many times before because he was also sponsored by Philip Morris with that mobile Brazilian team so kind of like we always say hey how you doing how you doing and uh, finally he's like hey look we I would love to uh, help you in your career and being your manager I'm like wow this is great that's what I need you know we need to for the next level we need to go for it and um, and well uh, we he finally when we win the I didn't win the championship in the second. Steve Horn said, look, the deal was whoever win the championship would get the ride in, in the Tasman Motorsport, and Tony ended up getting that ride. However, uh, he was, like, telling everyone, this this two are going to be the next the next drivers, the next champions. And Tony Bettenhausen got that. So I ended up talking to Emerson. Emerson made some deals, uh, you know, with the Brazilian TV that he has some business together. And it worked really well. But turn out to the end of the year, Tony Bettenhaus shut down the team. And I'm like, Emerson, come on, man. We gotta, we, we can't let this happen. I can't keep packing my bag and start going home again. I did this too many times. Um, and J.J. Leto was actually driving for Hogo Racing and decided to go to do the IMSA with the BMW. And... Uh, Carl said, no, you you actually drive with Mercedes engine. You can't do that. He ended up doing this, so his contract was off. So one week before the actually Homestead race, um, I got a phone call and said, hey, there is an, a possibility. Well, talk to my manager. He's the one that, that does that. And Emerson will go end up there, and, and he thought it was so, you know, kind of like smooth uh, going into um, without, you know, finding sponsorship through his business, but he never follow up 
and we miss opportunities. As Amazon, keep missing opportunities. Uh, Toyota uh, asked, that was doing a driver uh, opportunity with Cristiano D'Amato in that getting there ride. I said, why don't we, before that, why don't we go do tests? So all these things happening, and it, was, I, it wasn't moving. I had my backpack ready to go back home. I was like, this, I need to keep moving forward. So that's what happened. Uh, Carl and I were had an incredible relationship. He, um, not only that, um, we're starting doing super well. Nobody wants to Lola anymore. We're not reviving the Lola days uh, chassis. I'm talking about obviously, and 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 Carl said, "No, you 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 can't do that, Ellie. It's it, your career is it's being stopped by by that." I'm like, "Look, I, I'm I don't like to fight with anybody." But and then when Carl decided to shut down the team, I said, "Carl, you can't do this to me. You signed for me uh, for next year. I can't believe it." And I had a written offer from Bob Reha for five years in the middle of July. And I said, Emerson, let's do it. And he's like, no, no, we have to stay with Mercedes Angel. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, Mercedes not even not even going to be next year, maybe. What's, what's happening? So there was those debates. And uh, until finally when they shut off, uh, when Hogan decided to shut down the team, I wrote a letter and I said, Emerson, all these years, two years that we've been together would not be in agreement. I pay all everything that I have. I, sorry, I, this is not working out. Unfortunately, I mean, in 2000, particular that day, uh, um, uh, that weekend, not that day, uh, Greg Moore ended up having a huge accident and obviously a fatal accident. So everything from there start changing. Um, um, I got a phone call from uh, from Roger, and from there on, uh, we start negotiating. I start negotiating. I start doing this. My sister and I actually they thought my sister was my my girlfriend. You know, since it's like, why well, you why you you bring your girlfriend here? It's like, no, my girl's my sister. She's the one because I can't. Sp- right now, there was so much in my mind. I just lost a colleague. Uh, I was going home again. I my team just shut down. Um, that's the, my biggest fear. I didn't want to. To do that happen and um, and Penske is calling me what's I don't know what it's too much going on uh, obviously we end up doing that decision and um, Emerson felt that uh, he he was not he uh, I was stabbing him in the back and I'm like <laughs> how can I stab someone in the back this is the destiny it's nothing to do with you or me um, and I and actually even before that happened, I already said, sorry, we're not going to work anymore because you you not pay attention to me anymore. So unfortunately, obviously, uh, he ended up suing me from that, but we ended up going to court and ended up winning the case. But yeah, that was a, a sad moment because there was so much we could have done together, so much. We could have go actually to, back to Formula One. I'm telling you, after three years, my contract with Penske, we probably would have go back to Formula One and do so well, and uh, but yeah, I don't know if is if it was disappointing because um, he he is a hero in, in in racing, you know, and unfortunately for not that to happen, it was um, for me it was a big disappointment. So was it only with him you think you could have gone back to Formula One after that spell with Penske, and, and why is that? Because of the the TV links with in Brazil. No, because Formula One, the political is a little different, right? You have to have connections. You have to know people. Um, I didn't have, a, I mean, my only time was in Europe with uh, 
Paul and Jack, I mean, that could be a great end, but they were also having their own business, right? So it was, it was hard for me to do it. And, um, and I, and I feel that his connection would be great for us to explore and go back to Formula One. And that's why I felt that, uh, he, um, yeah, he didn't pay attention on that. But there was something you said to me a little bit ago, actually, uh, before we start recording about that moment and that legal case and, and how your career could have ended right there and then. Like, did, did you have moments where you genuinely thought, I mean, you, you had now had a Penske ride in, in sad circumstances, right. but you had something that opened the door to an incredible IndyCar future eventually. Right. But did you, did you feel like it was all going to potentially end at that time? I tell you what, I wasn't very comfortable. I just lost a colleague and uh, I remember some of the moments uh, that Roger and the discussions, like if it's not going to be you, it's going to be someone else. And I don't know if I read Mario Andretti saying that in one one conversation. I just remember there was like, <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to take this journey. And uh, this opportunity is right in front of me. I, 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 it, yeah, it's not my principles. I'm, I don't agree. But when I went to Toronto and I did the pole position and receiving a, a Greg Moore Award, which was an uh, in, incredible moment because his mom came to give the trophy to me, and I felt terrible. I was like, I feel terrible, and I don't know what to say. She's like, you, you're in good hands. This is your destiny. That's why to, to this day I say destiny because that's what she told me. This is your destiny. And uh, from there on, I was like, okay, now <laughs> we've got to keep it going. Until in 2009, we have the big legal um, um, situation with the United States government. Through the whole case, that uh, lawsuit with uh, Emerson, that's how led to this case because it was a bunch of a uh, story that wasn't true, and that was the, that was my fear, my fear of not racing. People don't understand when we're in this business, it's our life, it's 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 what we do, and for me it was it's the air that I breathe, and I remember a few moments that I was like, this is gonna suffocate me, I'm never gonna be able to leave after this because it's gonna take away for something that I, this is what I love. And uh, again, um, we we prove that uh, we prove obviously we're innocent that we didn't do absolutely nothing wrong, and we continue. I mean, we're here. I mean, yeah, it's it's the off track ups and downs are just incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, and by the way, this case wasn't like just happened here, right? It was ling it was holding like two, four years. Mm. It was a uh, litigation with 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 uh, uh, Emerson, and then was the litigation with the United States. I mean, there was uh, like about eight years. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this anymore. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, it kept me strong. It kept me strong, kept me like hardcore, and uh, enjoy even more. That's why people are like, ah, he's, this guy's an actor, you know? He just go out there and start blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm like, look, I'm in the environment, first of all, that I love. I mean, I'm doing that I love. And I don't know whoever, when is going to be over. So I'm, I might take advantage of every single second to be, to enjoy it. And that's why I'm, that's why I, I, I carry this mojo, let's put it this way. Yeah, you got plenty of that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to put to you then two, two times that you did completely seize that sort of opportunity in that moment. First one is your debut at the 500. Yeah. And to win as a rookie, was is that the biggest result, single race result of your career? Or have there been others that have maybe defined you more, do you think? I felt that 
my first win in Detroit was the big moment because first win you never forget, right? And um, I, I was very close many times, and uh, but finally that was the one that I was like, ah, that was a good drive, and actually it was a great lesson. It was me understanding what I need to do to get the car to the win and things like that, and everything came out together. Um, Eighty five hundred, I was like eager. I was you know, ambitious. I was like, and I did my homework. Everything, when I, when I stepped my foot in that, to that ground, it was like I've been there many, many years because of the homework. Back then you have, I mean, back then we didn't have Google, YouTube, all these things, but I, I went after every single champion, every single winner, asked questions, understanding what I need to do to have that car, and that, that helped me tremendous. So when I race... For my first oval win, by the way, not many people know that. That was my actually first oval win um, in, in, in IndyCar. I felt that I was more prepared than ever. But you've been quick on ovals straight away, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Nazareth, uh, Milwaukee. I always, my four, first pole position was in Milwaukee with Hogan. Um, yes, but I never won. I, I won in, in, this, in the road course or street course. So finally, I was able to conquer that. And uh, if you got to pick an oval, that's a big one <laughs> in every sense, in every sense. Um, but then you went to go back to back as well to, to kind yeah. of to start in that manner did that do you think that really put you on the map I mean certainly you, oh, no you, question. you were already on it in from no IndyCar question. terms but you think in racing generally I, I think so because people obviously every single uh, driver already heard about Indianapolis uh, and team owners and they might not don't agree with the type of racing however they it got their attention and winning a back-to-back, especially after 30 years, someone haven't done it. With the days that we had, you know, liability becoming much more of a engine failure, tire blowing, all these type of scenarios becoming much, I mean, it, it's, it's so different what used to be 30 years ago, right? And, um, and that's why it was for me, even for me, don't get me wrong. I, I went out there, I was like, exactly what we did in 2001, let's do in 2002, but he went backwards. Car was terrible. I was about to be a lap down in the race, and but once we have an opportunity, we grab it, and and that's why I say that place choose who's going to be the winner. Doesn't matter what, because I've been in the worst scenario, and in the best scenario, if it's your day, it's going to be your day. Well, when I put some of the stats to you though of your your career from sixteen full time IndyCar seasons, you'll know these stats obviously. But you finished in the top six in the championship fifteen times, <laughs> uh, second four times, third twice. And yet I might be cheeky enough to put it to you that winning Dancing with the Stars in 2007 <laughs> is what really put you on the mainstream map. I mean, what influence did that actually have, A, on your personal life to do something that big outside of racing, but B, on your racing career, did it affect it at all? No, it didn't. It was an opportunity. Uh, Dancing with the Stars, no question, was a show that back then we didn't have so many other contents. It was only American Idol. Mm. So huge popularity. And um, <laughs> I have this two incredible uh, uh, team of PR, which was uh, Lisa Boggs and Susan Bradshaw. And they're, they're always put me in all the scenarios as possible because obviously they want to have their brand, uh, Philip Morris brand out there. And I was always the one that, yes, yes. I was the yes man. And when they said about Dancing with the Stars, I was like, sure. I mean, what am I, what I need to do? But I don't know how to dance, you know? And, and I said, as long as I don't, be eliminated first. I'll be okay, right? 
and who knows, I would be the 14 weeks into the show. And um, but it was great because that made IndyCar not only myself, my name, but the IndyCar um, crossover a lot of uh, fans, especially the guys and especially the ladies, able to. What what is he doing now? You know, let's check it out and turn out to be a a win win for everyone. And yeah, I seem to remember saying that um, a lot of IndyCar ticket sales were actually attributed after that to Ooh. interest in you and and coming to see you af- after that. Like we had booths. a million viewers um, on in two thousand eight uh, update uh, compared to the year before, and we we're talking about because of Dance with the Stars. I mean. Roger now runs the show and he would love that sort of boost to just come <laughs> in. But but if, if we I'm, just... I'm done. I'm retired <laughs> from dancing. Let's just let you know. <laughs> Let's get another young kid. <laughs> poor, poor Roger. He wanted you back on the show. Um, but how influential was he in terms of someone Huge. to work with? Oh. Because you, you're synonymous with Penske. A mentor. Um, a mentor. Uh, the most powerful man I know in my in the planet and the most passionate person about racing. People... He could be doing whatever he he wants to do, play golf or go, you know, travel all over the place or take care of his companies. He does it all, but racing is his passion. And uh, and I am so fortunate to be and blessed to have someone that guide me all to, through all these years, 20 plus years. And not only him, but his family, his team. And um, I, I wouldn't be able to win that number four if it wasn't for him either um, people don't realize that uh, what everything I learned through Team Penske I was able to you know delivery with with Meyer Shank Racing Mike was a guy that believed me that a lot of people already forgot and and it was a perfect combination because Mike said Mike and I were looking in the eye he even said look I can't give you what Penske has but I will give you what's best for you and and that's one of the things my dad told me he never gave me you know uh, uh, I never maybe had the best equipment however that's the best he could give me and I made the best of the situation and uh, when he said that I said Mike we're gonna win this thing and, uh, <laughs> and we did <laughs> well, that's the thing it's like how how did that feel because I, I was lucky enough to be there it was my first 500 actually I've done oh, wow. qualifying loads of times but it's the first time I stayed for the race uh, and got to see you scale the fence that's and cool. celebrate with hundreds of thousands of fans again for the first time since the pandemic as well. It's like such a special moment. But for you to have been synonymous with Penske, to yeah, to be used to that family, I right. guess, and then to go to Shank and have that first, at the age of 45, to go and win that fourth one. <laughs> like, is it, you can hardly write that sort of stuff. Like, what did it feel like? It felt fantastic. Felt, it, it's not only felt fantastic, but the way we did it, meaning... Um, <laughs> We're not even worried that dark horse. I think people not even putting our, our, us on the bat uh, in that situation. But some of the guy, drivers knew what we had because when we practice, practice together, man, we show them. And uh, and that was great. Um, in, in the end of the day, it w- as long as we did not make any mistakes, I told the guys, we have a gonna, we're going to have a fight to win this, this race. As long And even if we do make mistakes, don't panic. You know, and every single person of this team, um, I mean, I'm big props to Mike. He knows how to pick. We have every single guy who was actually part-timer, but experienced guys. And, again, guys that are passionate about racing. And when you put that, everybody click. And it was like everyone was, 
years and years working together. So it was an awesome day. And what did it? What did that moment teach you? Uh, you know, sorry to to no, use this no, thing of the age, but at forty five to be hanging off that fence again. I was forty six. At, at that point, were you forty six? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sorry. Well, 46. there you go. I, was, I, I just I turned forty six. That year. Uh, that the, the May. Um, well, let me tell you. For me, it was reconfirming, and 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 I never, and special after my program with with Penske with uh, Acra, which we're here right now, and we just won the championship. Um, I was like, I, I, I'm not done. You know, it's not that you're going downhill. It's like I'm actually right there. This is the right time for us to keep it going. So I felt that I was, I had more advantage with this, the, everyone out there because experience that I have, the wins that I had, the situations that I've been through that I, that I know how to turn around. And that's exactly what happened when I felt this, we found the soft spot. Instead of messing around, I was like, that's it. We're not going to make it better. This is the, the best we can get, and I know what I need to do now. It's on me. And giving that confidence, it was just, that's why I took a role that normally Penske tell, was telling me what to do. Mm. And this was the role that I was like, finally, I was telling people what to do. And and that for me was um, was incredible. Um, a little bit nervous, yes, because I've never been in this situation. Over 20 years, people telling me what's, you know, where to go. And suddenly they're like, and? I said, hold on, give me, <laughs> give me a time here just to think about it and see the direction we're going and turn out to be the best one. It, is that something that's then led to your... Like continuation in IndyCar, like you know, now to be going into an even ex- more expanded program, is that because of the the home you found at Shank? I feel that. Well, when I spoke with 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 Mike, I said, Mike, we gotta go. We can't just do one or two or six off. You know, we gotta to to see the program works. We gotta keep it going. It's like I'm gonna work on it. No worries. But this is what I have to offer you. So I'm like, no problem. You know, I'm a patient person. I'm 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 good. And I do feel that speed up the process to to get the 2022 where we are now, and and I tell you, um, this team is has an amazing potential to become uh, a a championship team. And I feel, yeah, we are gonna have some ups and downs, but I do feel we're gonna have some wins as well. That's gonna make uh, it's gonna make it's it's gonna feel even better. Yeah, I fully believe that's going to happen because of everything you've achieved previously. And like, <laughs> when you like sit here now and then just think back finally over the last 35 years of racing cars or carts, what what has that taught you as a person? Um, what has it taught you that you use, I guess, every day to right. kind of improve yourself and, and move forward? Well, first, doesn't matter if it's racing. you got to have a passion. You really got to love what you do. Um, and which means you're going to go to the extra, extra, uh, day, if you need to, to keep it, you know, pursuing that. Second, you got to surround yourself with people that love you or once you do well, you know. Um, otherwise, you're just wasting your time. Uh, third thing, which is very common these days, especially with social media, stop listening to noises because that's so easy for you to get, um, you know, get confused. Uh, stop listening to those, those noises. This is just people trying to put you down. It's com- it's the competitive world, so focus on your target, dedicate, be disciplined, because it will pay off, and um, and that's what I'm doing, and have fun, because 
you know if you can't just be uh, a person that uh, don't enjoy it you have to have balance uh, in life so today I have a beautiful wife an amazing little girl uh, now she's 12 and um, and so happy to be able to have them to join this journey and and I tell you sky's the limit we're just beginning right thank you so much for telling us about your journey I mean having pointed out all of the big moments in it is is there anything you change no not at all i even my um dream that was going to uh to europe and formula one i had that experience by the way <laughs> never talk about that <laughs> sorry but i did have the experience i did drive for toyota the car felt fantastic actually the car was it fit like a glove um but the political side of it I I don't think I would have done well. I don't think I would be I um, I was built for that. And um so that's why I have no regrets of anything so far and I'm and I'm just like I said, I have a lot more sky's the limit I always say. So I have a lot more to do. We'll get you an F1 test this year. It's fine. That could be the next move. Watch out, guys. Watch out. I still can beat a lot of kids out there. <laughs> you could beat a lot of everybody out there. Uh, and it'd be great to see if you can go and get that fifth Indy 500 win this year as well. So, Are you going? I will hopefully... I was going to say I'll hopefully be there. Actually, no. It'll be the Monaco Grand Prix. Well, so I'll be in Monaco. But um, I'll be watching. Watching TV. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna remember that one because we have a great chance again. Well, I'm, I'm going to remember that clip as well. For everyone listening to this podcast, you're going to want to find that in a few months' time if Elio wins it. But Elio, thank you so much for taking the time to talk us through your amazing journey. Thanks, my friend.